0: Listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Kahn. This is season one, episode three, and this episode is titled: What Does It Mean to Be Hard or Soft as a Man? Now, in the last episode, I talked about the softness of many pastors and how it stands opposed to the hard masculinity of Scripture and to many men in America. In this episode, I want to unpack a bit more about where these terms came from and why they're helpful in the process of recovering biblical masculinity. what want to do now is turn to Matthew chapter 11 for a bit of exegesis and explanation of where these terms for hardness and softness come from. I'll begin reading in verse 7. Again, this is Matthew chapter 11. Now as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John, that is John the Baptist. And he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you among those born of women, there has not arisen any one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as we were looking at this passage, I want to point out a couple of things. First, notice that Jesus commends John the Baptist as the example of a man par excellence. This is what men ought to be like. He's saying that, in this sense, John is a model for masculinity. He's also saying that there are definite traits and virtues that you could visibly see about John, and he's commending those to us. There's a certain way that a man dresses himself. There's a certain way that a man carries himself. He speaks a certain way. His mannerisms are a certain way. And his attitude toward comfort and ease on the one hand, and discipline and moral toughness on the other, are revealed in the way he carries himself. Now, second, when he describes John, Jesus particularly says that a man should not be soft. It's interesting because the word here in the Greek that Jesus uses is malikos, which means soft or effeminate. It's the opposite of hard masculinity or what we'll come to call hard masculine virtue. It's very clear at this point that Jesus is saying men should not be soft. John wasn't soft, and neither should we be. Now, the reason John wasn't soft was because he lived a hard life in the wilderness, right? He ate honey and locusts, and more than that, he didn't care about the opinions of men. He wasn't swayed by the religious upper crust. He did not choose a life of comfort and ease, and Jesus points that out. He didn't live in the Hall of Kings with soft clothing and an easy life. But instead, he accepted the strenuous life. Now, I want you to hear that. He accepted, he embraced, and he pursued the strenuous life. As we'll talk about in coming episodes, this is really at the heart of masculinity, this resolve to embrace the hard life, the strenuous life. It's a life of discipline and difficulty and moral virtue. Well, this is at the very heart of what it means to be a hard man. Now third, I want you to notice this. Soft men reveal their softness in the clothing they choose. Now this isn't the main point of what I'm driving at right now, but I do want you to notice an important feature of the text and what Jesus says. He says that there's an external thing that's revealing an internal reality. So in other words, a man's clothing, his bearing, his demeanor, it's an external reality that reveals her, his inner character. You see, soft and hard men will be noticeable to the keen observer. In our culture, we want to say things like, well, there's no way to say that a man should dress this way or act this way. But that's not what Jesus says. He says you could look at John's life and know that he was a hard man. So we're going to unpack throughout the season what that looks like, but for now, understand this principle. Also understand the culture in which we live in. Most of us are ashamed to say when we see something like this in a man, maybe it's hard masculinity, maybe it's effeminacy, but we don't want to say, that's a man, and I can tell. But when you watch a movie and you see John Wayne in a Stetson hat, You say to yourself, there's a man's man. And we know it. Maybe we can't explain it, but we know it. On the other hand, when you see Justin Bieber in his skinny jeans with no shirt all tatted up, his underwear are showing and he's got bleach blonde hair with earrings, there's not many men that don't look at that and say, yeah, that's a little gay, bro. Now here's the point, and I I want you to hold on to this. Clothing matters. Externals matter. We're going to have to have difficult conversations about how they matter. But for now, the principle is they do matter. And they signify something about our masculine virtue. Now, the fourth point I want to make from the text is that malicose is a word Paul also uses to describe effeminacy somewhere else. And Paul says that it is a sin that will send men to hell and keep them from entering the kingdom. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. That's a pretty powerful statement. We've just gone from the realm of, effeminacy may not be the best, maybe it's a preference, maybe I don't like it, to it's a sin and it will damn you for all eternity. Well, you better have some proof, Eric, to back that up, and I do, and I want to share that with you. But I want you to see how this truth flies in the face of really any cultural popular view in America about biblical sexuality. We think it doesn't matter how you dress. It it doesn't matter. So what if a dude has a limp wrist and he's soft? So what if he can't work hard and he complains at even the slightest physical exertion? Maybe he speaks with a lisp. Maybe he wears painted on skinny jeans or worse, capris. So he likes to play with dolls, and he acts like a woman, and he's very emotionalistic, and shoot, he even harbors a crush on Zach Ephron But what's the big deal? Well, as it turns out, there is actually a big deal, and that's what Paul is saying. The passage I want to look at where Paul addresses malikos, effeminacy, softness, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read starting in verse 9 through verse 11. Now, verse 9, Paul says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And now he's going to list the unrighteous, the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. These people will not be with God in eternity. And he also, note this, he says... Don't be deceived. We live in a generation that is deceiving people, and people are deceived about biblical sexuality. So these are the people Paul lists. He says, Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, here's our word, the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to verse 11. He says, Such were, past tense, Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the spirit of our God. Friends, these are profound words. Listen, point number one, what Paul says. Paul is saying that effeminacy, the word he uses here is malicose, softness, effeminacy, it will send you to hell. Listen, I've had many friends say this to me. Eric, why don't you just talk about gospel centrality? Why do you have to talk about biblical sexuality? Because it's a matter of life and death and eternity. That's why I talk about biblical sexuality. That's why I address biblical masculinity. That's why I'm continually pointing to what is biblical and unbiblical, what's effeminate. Listen, this passage means that as men, we need to take our masculinity very seriously. It's not a throwaway issue. It's not about tastes. It's not about preferences. Sure, in the discussion about masculinity, we'll get into that realm. We'll talk about preference. But this issue of effeminacy is not a preference. It's an issue of sin and obedience before the living God. Now I want you to consider, just for a moment, if this is true, is this how the church treats the issue? Right? Does the church treat the issue of effeminacy as life and death? Well, very, very simple way to answer this question. How many sermons have you heard on the sin of effeminacy? I can count all of them and tell you right now it's zero. Right? I have never heard a sermon on effeminacy as a sin. In fact, most people that I've talked to about effeminacy they say, look, this is a pet interest area for you. It's not important and I don't want to talk about it. Just give me Jesus. Right? So number two, point from the text. I want you to see this. Most commentators agree there is a connection between effeminacy and homosexuality in the very sentence structure that Paul chooses. You notice in verse 9 that the two words are actually paired together. Now, some translations, like the ESV, do a great disservice. It actually just, that translation deletes the word effeminacy and just writes homosexuality. I Don't know if it's nefarious, but it seems that way. But in the Greek, as some of the more, I would say on this passage at least, some of the more reliable translations like the NASB, the KJV, they list effeminacy, and they should because it's in the Greek. It's in the original language. Now, some people have argued, and they've said this could be the active and passive participants in a male homosexual act, sodomy. And so the effeminate is on the receiving end and the homosexual is on the giving end. I don't think that's right. Gracious Shame makes a good case for this. Doug Wilson does in other places as well. But the, the sin that's being addressed here is effeminacy. And it refers to all the effeminate character traits, mannerisms, that eventually pave the path to full-blown homosexuality. It's for the people who aren't yet fully practicing a homosexual lifestyle, But they're men acting like women. And God's saying that is sin. Men should act like men, not like women. Think about, again, our culture. How how much of a problem is caused just by saying that? The mobs are ready to gather because you said men should act like men and women should act like women. That's what I'm saying. That's what Paul's saying. That's what God is saying to you. So in other words, the path to homosexuality is in large part and has been paved by the church because it has failed to address the negative side, which is effeminacy in men and the positive of what is biblical masculinity? What does it actually look like? It's very unpopular in our day to talk about these things. But it's obvious from the text that Effeminacy and homosexuality are sin. They're right next to each other. I think it's also interesting because people will say today, look, I I don't think it matters, so what if a guy is effeminate? I don't think it's going to lead to anything. But I was reading an article, this is published in the New York Times in 1986. And I want you to keep in mind, this article was endorsed by the Kinsey Institute, right? Bloomington, Indiana. Indiana. Kinsey Institute is extremely left-leaning and pro-LGBT. And they endorsed this article. And this is what the article says. It says, most young boys, I'm quoting, most young boys who persistently act like girls grow up to be homosexual or bisexual. A 15-year study of, quote, sissy boys has shown. So there is a definite correlation between acting effeminately and becoming homosexual. And they are both, hear me, they are both sin. All right, so moving on. Third point I want to make about this passage. The right response to effeminacy is to repent. Paul lays that out in the last verse. Listen, such were some of you. Right in our flesh, we're all prone to softness as men to some extent. That's why we have to be reminded it's sin. And we have to be called in repentance to actively seek to put it to death. I talk about masculinity on Facebook, on Twitter, on my blog, and people say to me, well, you're just naturally inclined to those things. No, I am not. I am naturally inclined to be a coward, to shirk responsibility, to be lazy with my body, with my mind. But listen, those who are in Christ those whose faith is in Jesus, you must reject effeminacy and softness and pursue biblical masculinity. You cannot be obedient to Christ if you are not in pursuit of biblical masculinity. right? This is a serious, heavy weighty issue. That's why I care so much about it. right? We have to embrace hard masculinity. It's not the easy path. It's not the natural lifestyle. It's the difficult road to obedience and virtue. Right. So real quick, I want to summarize everything I've just said about two passages. Just be very clear to summarize. It's clear that men are called to be hard and not soft. Men should pursue robust masculine virtue... And they should seek to eliminate and put to death effeminate softness in themselves. All right, the last thing I want to do in this episode is to get very, very practical. Again, this was one of the tenets we brought up in the introduction. We want to be clear. We want to be lucid, have brevity, get to the point. But we also want to be practical. So how can we be practical about hardness and softness? I'm going to ask two questions, then I'm going to answer them in order. Number one, how can a man pursue hardness? It's an important question. God calls us to do it. How do we do it? Number two, in what specific realms is a man called to pursue hard masculinity and to fight against softness? Now, here's the key point. I'm going to start answering those two questions. Here is the key point I want you to take away from this discussion. Hardness is a result of discipline. Probably the core masculine virtue upon which all other virtues depend is discipline. Hardness is a result of discipline and it is a way of life, not a single event. So you want to be hard? You want to be a man? As scripture and God has created and called you to be, you're going to need discipline and you're going to have to embrace that discipline as a way of life. It is not a single event. If you want to be hard, you have to live hard. And there's three ways I want to give you that you can do that. How can we grow and discipline toward hardness as a way of life? There's three ways. There's there's more, but I'm going to point to three today. There's three ways. Here they are. How can a man be disciplined for hardness? Well, he can discipline his muscles, his morals, and his mind. Number one, a man's muscles. First and foremost, when a man disciplines his body physically, his muscles get harder. Like that's just a physiological reality. Right? He's like a hardened carbon steel knife blade that now has an edge. Right? Before he was lazy, he overate. He neglected action. And so what do we say about men like that? We say they're soft. We talk like this all the time because our words know better than we do sometimes. But it's interesting, when a man is physically soft, he's also psychologically soft. He's also morally soft. So this is why I start with a man's muscles. If you cannot discipline your body to be hard, you will fail in every other area in virtue of masculinity I promise you right this is why when you you enter military forces you go to boot camp you join go to boot camp they literally put a boot in your rear end right because you have to be made hard if you're going to be a fighting man the military understands you got to be hard and and you got to be physically fit you are going to fail Morally, if you are not physically fit. And I don't mean so you can preen in front of a mirror at the gym. I mean so that you can war. Right? Men are made to be warriors and you need a body that can get you there. So a man should pursue physical discipline to bring about a hard body and a hard mind. They're tied together. You cannot separate them. You want to be hard? Discipline your body physically. Second, what is the other realm that a man can pursue discipline and hardness? A man must be morally hard. So number one was muscles. Number two is morals. A man must be morally hard. What do I mean by this? It means disciplining yourself to live by a set of moral principles and masculine virtues. Not about what's easy in the moment. Right, You all know what I'm talking about. I know that I should probably put in the work and not cut corners on this project, but I really want to go drink beers with my buddy, so I'm going to do something morally egregious. No matter how small it seems, that's what it is. Right, But the man who has learned to live by principle, he says it doesn't matter how tired I am, I will do the right thing. It doesn't matter how financially strapped we are We're still going to tithe our paycheck. right? You choose to live under the, the weightiness of a set of moral principles and virtues, despite how you may feel in the moment. A man must be this. A man must be this if he's going to be hard. It means acting courageously in the face of fear. It means embracing hard challenges. It means refusing to compromise on truth Even when it means unpopularity. You know how I know we don't have a lot of hard men in the church? Because every time a difficult doctrinal issue comes up in the church, the leaders in the church bail. They won't come out and say homosexuality is a sin. Repent. No, what do they do? They say, well, it's not God's best for you. Dude, that is moral compromise. You do not fear God. You fear man. Think about John the Baptist, right? He lost his head, literally. It's not a metaphor. He, he was beheaded for challenging the king and saying, what you're doing is wicked and evil. You need to repent. He did not soft pedal the truth. That's what hard men do. They speak hard truths and they stand by them and they don't back down. They speak plainly and they speak clearly. What else do they do? They cultivate a relentless diligence in their work. That's moral. That's a a sense of weightiness and vocation and masculine virtue, right? You think going to work and just slacking off, you you think that's not a moral decision? It's a bad one, but it's a moral decision. Hard men know how to sacrifice temporal ease and comfort for long-term moral commitment. That's what John the Baptist did. That's what you have to do if you want to be a hard man. Third and finally, we're about done. Third and finally, a man's mind must be disciplined to think rationally and clearly instead of emotionally and reactively. Right? So we did muscles, we did morals, and now we're on a man's mind. Right? You have to discipline your mind. How many men say things like this? It's utterly stupid. Well, you know, I'm just not a reader. Man, I don't give a crap what you are. You're going to become a reader. You're going to become somebody who at least listens to sermons, listens to podcasts. Maybe it's not reading as much as listening, but guys, you have to discipline your mind. You think people like to wake up at 4 a.m. and lift weights? I mean, yeah, eventually maybe you enjoy it. Jacko willing. uh, He does it because he knows how to discipline himself but don't think that's all about that man's body he's disciplining his mind and when you listen to the man speak and Jordan Peterson and Rolo Tomasi those are men who know how to discipline their minds right, you want to be a hard man you have to have a hard mind You know how, you have to know how to rule your emotions rather than to be ruled by them Right? Why are so many men today soft? It's because they're coddled. and They say, well, I just feel like a victim in the world. Life is hard. I didn't get that six-figure job that I thought that I was owed when I graduated from college. I mean, I know I have the sense of entitlement of a Kardashian, and I know I've only accomplished as much as a ham sandwich, but gosh darn it, I feel like people should... Show me more respect. Right? That's not a hard man. We live in a generation that tells us to trust our feelings. It tells us we're entitled. If bad things happen, it tells us we're a victim. But listen, a hard man is ruled by principle, reason, and the word of God. You need to learn logic. Like, how many of the stupid things the media tells us could be destroyed in five seconds by somebody who knew what a logical fallacy was. That's a red herring. Right? Ad hominem. You're attacking me, not my argument. Right? Men need to learn these things. So, I encourage you, discipline your muscles, discipline your morals, and discipline your mind. You will be a better man. You'll be a hard man. You'll be living in repentance and faithfulness to God. You'll grow up. And that's what our generation of boys with beards needs. Well, thanks for listening to the Hard Men Podcast. It's been a pleasure. For more on the topic of masculinity and biblical sexuality, be sure to check out my website, ericconn.com. That's E-R-I-C-C-O-N-N dot com. Sign up for my newsletter. Follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Handle is all lowercase E-R-I-C underscore C-O-N-N. Be sure to follow me on Facebook as well. If you have questions or feedback, please let me know. I'd love to interact and engage with you. So send me your comments in any one of those outlets. Now until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, and act like men.